0: where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judah, Judea, for it is written by the prophet, and you O Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For for whom you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, "'Go and search diligently for the child, "'and when you have found him, bring me word "'that I too may come and worship him.' "'After listening to the king, they went on their way, "'and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose "'went before them until it came to rest "'over the place where the child was.'
1: Oh, am I on? There we go. Ashley, that was great. Thank you. It's so strange to read the Christmas story in March. Um, and it's, it's strange to study the Christmas story in March. Uh, if we haven't met, I'm Thomas Nelson. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. I, am, uh, I oversee the young adult ministry, and Tuesdays are my favorite day of the week. I love seeing all of you. Uh, and we've added about 120 chairs in here, so like, you, have room to, you have room to spread out a little bit, which is, uh, which is amazing. If you're wondering, by the way, somebody asked me last week, this is just a little housekeeping. Somebody said, hey, who is Young Adults for? And so we don't call it Tuesday night singles gathering. We also don't call it the Tuesday night college gathering. What we call it is the young adult ministry. And so we have folks in the room that we have some young married couples. We have um, lots of single people. We have some divorced people. We have some, uh, some freshly just asked out people. We have some people that are not that, um, and so like we have like it's just this mixture and so we just say hey this is a ministry for folks in their 20s and 30s and that's what we wanted to be we wanted to be your young adult years 20s and 30s we don't we don't advertise like hey college students come if we find out that you're a college student and you're like a freshman we might say leave um, and so but that's because there's a lot for college students when you when you hit your 20s and you start working it's like the well runs dry and so there's like tons of stuff for college students. Now, if you're here and you're a college student, please don't like, get up and leave, because you would be embarrassed um, as you stood up and walked out. Don't, don't do it. So I'm, I'm just saying, though, this is a young adult ministry, and I just am so grateful that we get to have this time in life together, because I think these young adult years are honestly, some of the most trying and some of the happiest times. Like, some of you are genuinely living an episode of Friends, like, every day. Um, It's not, instead of, like, going to school, you're, like, going to work, and instead of having homework, you're having money, and so you're, and you live with, like, all your pals, and you're, like, you got the world by the tail, Uh, and so, like, this is just a great time, but also, it's, like, a hard time, because your parents aren't, like, what they used to be anymore, and you're making those transitions. You're, you're owning your faith, or you're trying to figure out, should I own my faith? Uh, and you, if you've been a Christian for a while, you've seen great attrition. You've seen lots of other folks that were running towards Jesus, not running towards Jesus, and it's a time where you can feel alone. And so this is like this little microcosm of we're in this together, And I think this is so sweet. And so uh, I just love that we get to be with all of you. Um, so we're going to jump in. Matthew chapter two, we're rolling through the book of Matthew. I'm calling tonight the tale of three kings. Ashley just read the the three kings. And as we go through the book of Matthew, just one, if you're not on the group me, come see us outside at the connect desk afterwards. We'll get you in the group me. That's where we put up like what's happening the following week. But just know most weeks this year, we're going to be in this book and we're going to walk through this book. We're going to take some moments. We're going to stop. We're going to do some mini series, but we're going to jump right back in. In this book. And so not every week is going to have like a super clever title where you're like, that's what I need for my life. But I promise you, the way the Word of God works, if you'll just let us open it with you. And a lot of weeks, if you'll let me teach you and the people that we have that are guest teachers, I think that as the Lord through the Holy Spirit moves and his word is opened, I think that even in the story that is typically reserved for a couple of weeks in the month of December, you might just be surprised at how relevant it is for your life right now. And so while we may not have a bunch of catchy titles as we go through the book of Matthew, I do think that the word will meet your life head on. That being said, let me pray as we move into this chapter. Father, I do ask that you would move in this place. I thank you for this season of life. I thank you that your word is living and active. And I ask that tonight you would speak through your word as we look at this tale of three kings, Jesus, Herod, and the wise men. Father, would you confront us with your holy justice and love Lord, may we be met by you, challenged by you, and called to you. And may we respond by faith, with grace, with a yes. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is the tale of three kings. The three kings are are King Jesus, King Herod, and then the third one was a little bit of a stretch, but I didn't want to call it like two kings and some other guys. Uh, and so the other one is the magi, the wise men, and they were a type of kingly person at least they definitely were were uh, of uh, of high influence and so i 'm calling this a tale of three kings and uh and I, I just want to show you. Um, we'll we'll walk through some of this together on on my iPad here, and some of it we'll walk through just through slides and in in the Word itself. So um, take take a look on the iPad here. So now after Jesus was born, so there's our first king, we have Jesus. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, that's our second king, behold, wise men, from the east came to jerusalem saying where who where where is he who has been born king of the jews and so jesus is just listed as jesus in the first verse or in the first part of the verse but as we go on he is called the king of the jews and so we have these three kings positioned right here in the opening verses and I think what we're going to see as we go through this, and as Ashley just read, is that you're going to see Herod, when he's confronted with Jesus, is troubled. And then I think you're going to see when the wise men are confronted with the same Jesus, they find hope. And it's, it's just about as clear as it can be as Matthew is telling us this story. And I think we have to ask the question, well, why was Herod troubled? Why would the wise men come and worship? And why is, is this baby Jesus? Why did Matthew start here? Why didn't he jump into like 30-year-old Jesus? And I do think there's something really important in the text here as to why we have to stop, why Matthew had to stop and talk about baby Jesus in a moment and baby Jesus' life versus like, okay, Jesus is 30 and he's starting his ministry. Because I'll be honest with you, like preacher confession here. In studying this text uh, for, for the last couple of weeks, I have been a little bit troubled. The thought of, as I've read the wise men and I've looked at this account, the fact that they walk in They fall down in front of Jesus and then worship him and bring him gifts as an infant. It's like really hard for me to get my mind around. 30-year-old Jesus is like a little easier for me to think about worshiping. Jesus on the cross is easier, much easier for me to think about worshiping. Now resurrected Jesus. Now that is like... Uh, an easy process for my mind to jump into, but to go all the way back and to worship a baby and then not even stick around for him to grow up, but to leave. This is very interesting, but it's also equally interesting that Herod would lose his mind over a child. And so I think we have to ask the question, okay, Herod is troubled by Jesus. The wise men are hopeful in Jesus. and, And yet, Jesus is a baby in this story. And I do think there's something really important for us to see as we look at this play out. And so what we have to say is, okay, so this story was written to a pre-Christian world, a pre-Christian world. Uh, and if you're taking notes, this is this is kind of an important. If you're not and you're just like taking mental notes, which is what I do a lot of sermons, I'm with you. Um, and so like, this is a pre-Christian world that this is written to. So this is obviously very important to include Herod, to include the wise men, and to include a baby, baby Jesus here. But... We're reading it in a post-Christian world. So this is pre-Christian. Did I say that in my mind? I said it like three different times earlier today when I was going over it, and I said it wrong most of the time. Okay, this is written in a pre-Christian world, but we're reading it in a post-Christian world. And so if real estate is location, 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 the Bible is context, context, context. It can't mean something different to us today than it did to the original audience And so as we read this, we have to ask, why in the world would would Matthew include this story in a pre-Christian culture, and then how how do we in a post-Christian culture understand this and actually think the bridge is like really short? See, what he's doing is he's introducing these two types of kings and holding them up to the ultimate king. And I think as we see this story play out, we'll start to ask the question, wait a minute, is Matthew saying that all the people who would have heard this in the first century, probably like 50 to 60 AD, all the people who heard this in the first, were they supposed supposed to say, wait, am I Herod or the wise men? And I think you're going to find the answer is yes. And so that would mean that today, as we read this story in a post-Christian world, we might should start asking the question, and I'm going to have you go ahead and start asking it to yourself right now as we've studied this. Wait, am I Herod or the wise men? And I think that's why this story is in the scriptures and it's so early on and it's one of the first stories told about Jesus because Jesus is polarizing and he leaves no middle ground. So... Uh, what what I want to do is just walk through these first few verses and tell you a little bit about these three kings. I want to tell you a little bit about Herod, and uh, and then I want to tell you about the, the Magi, and then I want to tell you just a little bit about baby Jesus. And uh, and so that's how we're going to break this down. So, now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, this is very interesting. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. So right out of the gate, Herod hears that there's a baby king. Somewhere between a month or two old and maybe two years max. Not even two years. He finds out there's a baby king, and he's deeply troubled. And it wasn't the whole of Jerusalem, but it was the core of who made up the elite in Jerusalem. They're all, they were troubled. And assembling all the chief priests, the scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where is the Christ to be born? And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophets, O you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. From you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly. And he ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he went to Bethlehem and he said, go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring word to me too that I may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child. I want you to get the the visual of this. It's, It's not like just three, by the way. They bring three gifts. I don't know how many it was. They travel a long way. When they go into the house, and it's a little house, there's, a, there's a, 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 a place you can go now and you can see like maybe where Mary's house was or where they were when this happened. Um, and it's in Bethlehem. So when they, when they go, they see Mary and Jesus together. And what do they do? They fall down and they worship him And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. And then I want to skip ahead just a couple of verses, and I want to show you these verses. Now, when they departed... When they departed, actually, I'm just gonna read it to you because it's easier in my Bible here. So what happens is they depart, they go back to Egypt. Then in verse 16, it says, then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, he sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. So what we see at the end of the story is what is known in history as the massacre of the innocents. And that's where Herod kills these folks. So let's talk about Herod for a minute. Why is he so important? Why is he in this story? And I'm gonna just show you some pictures and you're gonna love this. Here is a picture of Herod. Herod was, um, this, is, this is not a great picture. Um, it was film. And so uh, he was moving a little bit, but <clears throat> this, is a, this is a likeness of Herod. Herod wanted to be revered. Herod believed he was a deity. A lot of the Roman leaders thought that they were deities. Herod did believe that he was a deity. And so Herod had this great reverence about him. But Herod is known a lot by his buildings. And, uh, and I know some of you have been to Israel. Greg over here, he lived in Israel for a little while. So I know that we've got like some, some folks that have been to Israel and some of you have seen this. Some of you are going in like two weeks. Some of you are gonna come with us this summer to Israel and you're gonna see some of these things. But this is very, very important. Because Herod built a bunch of stuff. So the first thing that I wanna show you is what's up on the screen now. And, and that, is called the, that is called Masada. And so out at the Dead Sea, in the middle of nowhere, I'm talking the desert, the desert, desert. It is hot, it is so hot. There's these cliffs that jut up on both sides of the Dead Sea. Some are in Jordan, some are in Israel. This is on the Israeli side. These cliffs jut up a 1,000 or more feet And they make these mountains that would be very difficult for anyone to get to the top of. And some of them would require technical climbing in today's terms with with ropes and and, uh, protection to put into the rock to keep you from falling to your death, all these things. So nobody could really go to the top of these except Herod. Herod was such a visionary that he said, not only do I want a fort on top, I want you to level the top of it so that it's a perfectly level fort. Not only do I want a fort on top that's level. I want to afford on top with running water. Now, there is no running water around. So, Herod was such a visionary that he created this fortress. This fortress was used in World War II by the Nazis. It's still like it's still a thing. And this is all Herod, Herod the Great. So the next one that I want to show you is a place that became, this is a vacation picture. Um, okay, I couldn't find any good spots in this. And I was like, well, Heather and I have been there. So there you go. There's me and Heather. And, uh, and it was. this is this past summer. We were leading an Israel trip for another church. And, uh, and so we were like, take a picture over here. This is beautiful. But what you see behind us is the Mediterranean Sea. And uh, you can just put like a blank slide up. Heather's probably like, stop that. Uh, and so like what you see behind us is the Mediterranean Sea there. But all that little, that, that, that sandy stuff are around us that is all Caesarea Maritina, and that is this incredible port city. Herod was such a visionary. when he built his house, he said, "You know what? I want a swimming pool at my house. Now this place is not quite as hard to put a swimming pool. But he said, "I want a freshwater swimming pool in the ocean." And they built it. You can go today and you can see the freshwater swimming pool that juts out a hundred yards into the ocean. This is the place where Paul, when you get to the end of the book of Acts, is held prisoner and shipped off to Rome. Herod was an incredible builder and it was every one of these was to show his power. Maybe the best thing that Herod is known for is when he rebuilt the temple. And when he rebuilt the temple, the reason is because Herod was like part Jewish and he really wanted to be known as the true Jewish king. He wanted to be the Messiah of the Jewish people, and so he thought, well, I'm not full-blooded Jewish, but if I can rebuild their temple, then they'll accept me in and worship me as king. And so Herod builds the second, or rebuilds the temple, and it's, it's incredible, and there's another picture, another vacation picture coming up. Yes, there we go. Another vacation picture, same trip from last summer. But what you see behind us, the the tall building over my shoulder, that actually is still the temple that Herod built. And that's the southern steps that we're standing on, which in the book of Acts, when Peter preaches the sermon at Pentecost, he was standing in that spot when he preached Pentecost. And all the people came to know Christ, 3,000 folks or more that day. And Herod built all of it. But there's one, there's there's several other things he built, but there's one other thing that I really want to show you. And it's this incredible mountain. And this is called the Herodium. Now, Herod loved the idea of Bethlehem. And he knew when he asked the question that I read you in Matthew 2, where do they say that Messiah is going to be born? And they said, in Bethlehem, Herod knew that. He's asking more of a rhetorical question there. And just to clarify, this is where this baby came from, right? Because I'm about to kill all the babies that came from there. Herod built his fortress called the Herodium on this mountain. It's about five miles from Jerusalem. And one day Herod was standing in Jerusalem and he said, I want a house on that mountain over there so that I can see Bethlehem and Jerusalem. Here's the funny thing about this mountain. When he said that, there was no mountain. Herod built a mountain. Now hopefully this should like ring some bells here because in Matthew chapter 17, Jesus is standing near a place where he could probably see this. And he said something like, if you have faith the size of a grain of a mustard seed. You can move mountains. Herod was more, or Jesus was more than likely looking at the Herodium because everybody thought you had to have faith like Herod to move a mountain. And Jesus said, with me, it just takes a little bit. Herod at this Herodium here, he built a pool in the front of it. Now, this pool was so big. By the way, there's no water here either. Um, He had water, running water, hot and cold at the top of this fortress. But when Herod built this pool down front, I just wanted to show you this because it shows the grandiose nature of Herod. He built this pool in the front so that he could go sailing on days when there was a little breeze. So that's Herod. But I want to read you an excerpt from an article out of Smithsonian Magazine. Still, Herod's reign is remembered more for its ruthlessness and paranoia than its architectural feats. He tortured and killed family members, servants, and bodyguards, to say nothing of his real enemies. In an Othello like rage, Herod even ordered the execution of the woman he loved most, his second wife, because he believed that she might have had an affair. Herod's eldest son and the apparent heir, Antipater, convinced the king that two of his other sons were plotting against him. So Herod had them executed. That's right, you heard me say that. He killed his own boys. And when Herod learned that Antipater was planning to poison him, he rose from his bed just five days before he died to order the murder of Antipater. And as Roman Emperor Augustus supposedly quipped, it is better to be Herod's pig Than his son. In a final act of depravity, Herod imprisoned all the notables of Judea, ordering that they be executed on the day of his death so that the country would be plunged into mourning because no one was going to cry when this guy died. But when Herod died in Jericho at about 69, probably of kidney failure, exacerbated by a genital infection, according to a recent biography about King Herod, a persecuted persecutor is the name of the biography, the prisoners were released. And instead of mourning, rejoicing filled the land. Josephus wrote that Herod's body was conveyed to Herodium, where in accordance with his directions, he uh, of decree, it was interred. The late king was covered with purple and a diadem was put on his head and a crown of gold above it and a scepter in his right hand. Jesus was born two years before this man would die. And that is the story of one of the three kings. Here's the story of the second of the three kings in Matthew 2. These are the magi or the wise men. Um, trivia. Does anybody know their three names, even though there were more than three? I'm almost convinced. I wasn't there, but I think there was. Uh, Melkoy, Casper, and Balthazar. Those were the names given in history and tradition to the three wise men. These are enigmatic characters. These are folks that you're like, they're like, you know the person that like you work with that like they show up and they do their job and they're not gonna get fired and they actually like probably do a pretty good job but no one knows anything about them. You know who I'm talking about? Like those people where you're like, nobody knows what they do. Like they don't talk about their lives. They're like very private. They're like, they're, that's an enigmatic character. And these, these wise men, that's these people. They show up out of the East and more than likely, there's been a lot of debate, but more than likely, they traveled from somewhere Over in Asia, through Pakistan, through Afghanistan, through the Arabian Peninsula, eight or 900 miles to see this, this child, which they understood would be king because of a star that was up in the sky. Now, these would be fascinating folks to go to East Pole with. Like, so you saw the star, and like, what happened? I mean, these are like very interesting folks. And then like at the end of this story, they just leave. And you're like, very cool. They're like, very cool. They're like, like <clears throat> when I was in like early college, Lenny Kravitz was like super cool. And then he, he did a commercial a couple of days ago and I was like, Lenny still got it. I don't know anything about Lenny. Like nothing, but like he's just cool. And so I think these, I think the wise men are like just cool. And so, but they're, they're fascinating folks. They go eight or 900 miles through Pakistan, Afghanistan, the Arabian Peninsula. They go down to Jerusalem to see the baby who is born a king. And then when they get to this baby, they fall down. Look at, look at verse 11 in chapter two. In your Bible, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. So they're not—they're not like so cool that they won't put themselves aside. They fall down and they worship him. And the way this is worded, it seems, and almost immediately, not even asking the mom, like. Is it okay if we hold your child? Like, they're, like they're, they're just like, we came here, Mary, glad you're here. We came here for him. And, and they, they open up this, these bags of gifts, and they pour out these gifts. This is where you get your Christmas gifts from. You know that, right? It's because they brought gifts to Jesus. That's where the whole thing came from. I think they would be appalled at the materialism that we have at Christmas. But nonetheless, this is where it comes from. And so they fall down, they worship him, they open their treasures, and they offer him three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What interesting gifts to bring a baby. Like, not a lot of cuddling going on here. Like, here's gold. Here's frankincense and here's myrrh. Now this is also fascinating. Remember, these folks traveled eight or 900 miles. They had these gifts, either they got them on the way or they got them before they left. But these are all specific gifts. These are like well thought out baby shower gifts. These are not like, oh, the thing's tomorrow. Can we get it overnight shipping on Amazon? Like these are like well thought out baby shower gifts. Because who do you give gold to? You give gold to a king and they knew we're visiting the king. Now, I don't know what the Lord was showing them in that star. I don't know if the Lord visited them in a dream. I do know he visits them in a dream after this. Was that the first time the Lord had visited them in a dream? I don't know. But you give gold to a king. Now, frankincense, That's a fascinating gift. Exodus chapter 30, verse 34. You use frankincense if you're the priest. They knew this was a Jewish baby that's gonna be the king of the Jews. And so they give gifts to a king and then they shift gears and they give a gift to a priest. And then there's myrrh. And of all the things you can use myrrh for, Myrrh is very common in death. So they give gifts to a king, they give gifts to a priest, and then they give gifts for death. I mean, they sum up Jesus in three gifts. They were perfect gifts. And it's fascinating And then, as quickly as they enter, they have a dream, they're warned by the angel of the Lord not to go visit Herod like Herod asked them to do, and so they go out of town another way, and they're gone. Now, these are two of the three kings, but the third king in this story is a baby. The incarnation of, of God, but he's only a baby. Why is this baby so polarizing? There's three giants here, Jesus, Herod, and the wise men. The wise men and Herod both have the same human condition. They live in the same world, and Herod For whatever reason, because of his his embrace of this human condition, sees Jesus as trouble. But the wise men, in the same human condition, and for whatever reason, their perspective, they see Jesus as hope. And, And Jesus, I think this is so interesting. Jesus is kind of the same the whole story. He's just a baby. He's just a baby, and these folks are tripping all over themselves about this baby. He's just being. And I think that's a clue. I think as Matthew writes this, we're not supposed to just say, oh, well, he's a baby. I think we're supposed to say, oh, he's being the whole time. And he's staying put, and the people are coming to him, and people come to him either troubled by him or they come to him and they find hope in him. But he just stays as he is. In a, in a pre-Christian world, this is striking. And in a post-Christian world, it's equally as striking. Herod ends up dying and he goes to that tomb and he stays in that tomb until that tomb, the Herodium is, is raided and the body is taken. And it wasn't until 2007 that they realized that's where Harry's, Harry? No, that's what they called him. Um, that's where Herod's body, that's where Herod's body lied. That was his nickname. Um, that's why he killed so many people. Uh, and so, I'm just kidding. Uh, And so the wise men, though, they go home. Herod goes to his his grave, just troubled soul. The wise men go home with a greater gift than anything they brought. But baby Jesus just kind of stays the same. Unchanged. See, when this story was written, I believe one of the things that we were supposed to see is that the people in the first century were either to read, they were to read this story and they were to say, oh, I identify with the wise men. I, I have found hope in this child. Or they read this story or they hear this story and they're like, that's right, and that's why we crucified him. They identify with Herod. I think this story is written with these two types of kings and King Jesus in the middle because we're supposed to—we're not supposed to leave this story and say, nice story. We're supposed to leave this story and say, I'm one or the other. We're either the wise men or we're, we're Herod. And, and I think that it's really hard for us to say, like, I'm Herod, right? Like, who's gonna say, I'm Herod? I wanna put Jesus to death. And so Herod's like so far removed. I'm hesitant to use this example, but I want to use an example that's like very, very, very recent history. It's so recent that like the trial just finished. And so a type of modern day Herod, probably like an Alex Murdaugh. And if you know the story, if you know the trial, a person that, that, now he was convicted, maybe, maybe things come out later, so that's why I'm hesitant to say, like, I wanna pin him in on this. I'm just saying a current modern day example of someone who, who does the things that Herod did would be like an Alex Murdon. If you don't know what I'm talking about, um, just, just type in Alex, the rest will pop up. Uh, and so he, he ends up killing his own wife and son covers up the murder or, or the, the, the accidental death of a girlfriend of the son at one point and does bunches of other things. And you say, well, that's not me. Well, that's a lot like Herod. And it's, 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 a, it's a, an overstated example for most of us. But the thing that connects Alex Murdoch and Herod and probably a bunch of us is that they build their own kingdom at all costs. That's what a Herod is. A Herod builds their own kingdom at all costs. And they'll stop at nothing to build their own kingdom. And you build your own kingdom and you will eventually put Jesus to death. Now it'll be figurative and he will still reign, but you will do your best to snuff him out. Because that's what happens when we build our own kingdom. There's no room for him And if he is a king and you want to be a king, well, you both can't rule the same land. And as I studied this story, I was like, first I was like, well, I'm no Herod. And then I thought about the Alex Murdoch stuff and I was like, I am not an Alex Murdoch. And the more I read it, the more I thought, if I'm so quick to say I'm not them, there's gotta be some of them in me. And then I started doing inventory over the last seven days on how many different things that I really wanted to, to make happen and do and conquer and achieve. And how much of that time was, was submitted to the Lord? And I realized, oh my goodness, a a, ch- a whole chunk of my life is trying to put to death the Herod in me. Because I really like to build my kingdom. And I really like my plans a lot of times. And when that happens, Jesus is a threat. I do not see him as hope. I see him as a threat. There's another illustration I'm going to use that I'm also equally, maybe more so hesitant to use. And that's a movie that I can't recommend that you watch. I did watch part of it. I fast forwarded through some of it too. Um, <clears throat> It's, it's a movie. It was number one on Netflix, and I started, I put it on the other night, and then Heather said, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm doing research. And she was like, uh-huh. And I was like, no, I really am. And she was like, I'm going to bed. And I was like, okay, I'll tell you if it's good. And so <clears throat> I didn't watch the whole thing, um, but there is a part, it's called uh, When I Leave You, and there's this one scene where Jonathan Trooper, who is played by Jason Bateman, is sitting on his roof. And his sister, Tina Fey, comes out and they're sitting together and they're rehashing like all of life and how their whole life is messed up. And every couple in their family is messed up except for one little kid in the family. His name's Cole and Cole is potty training. This will be important for the quote I'm about to read you. But Alex or 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 Jonathan Trooper in this story kind of reminds me of a wise man. Because he says, he's a seeker. And the wise men were seekers. And they were okay with saying, something's broken. We just don't know what the answer is. And then when they found Jesus, they knew that's the answer. But here's the quote. He says, and this is his his like crystal clear moment, realizing that the world's a mess. He says, no one is happy. The one person that's got it figured out in this family is Cole, you know, he's got a little little port-a-potty little thing that he's learning to train on and sometimes he uses it on like the front porch and so that's where the rest of this comes in. He says, you know, he sits on that can and he takes a dump and he's super happy. You show me one happy adult. Everybody's sad or angry or lying or cheating. And when he said that line, I paused the movie and I was like, I gotta scribble some of this down. Because I think the Magi might have been in that moment when the stars showed up. They were like kind of done building their kingdom. That's kind of how I imagine them. I mean, why else do you leave and go 900 miles through the desert? Unless you're like, there's gotta be something else. And in this movie, he's kind of done building his kingdom and he's like, what is it? Why are all the adults sad? or angry, or lying, or cheating. Now, to that kind of person, when they meet Jesus, he's hope. He's not a threat. So, I, I thought about it a little bit more, and I think the reason the baby was so polarizing, I just want to show you two verses here. It's Colossians 1:19 and John 1:17 because even as a baby all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And when Herod sensed the fullness of God, it ran right in the face of the kingdom he was building but when the magi saw the fullness of God wrapped in baby flesh, they fell on their faces and sensed, this is the king. And maybe when the world meets him, all the adults won't be so sad anymore. And then John says, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. And don't we see that in this story? Grace to those seeking wise men and truth to Herod who thought he was God. When I, I, then like as I was preparing the sermon, I was like, I need to hear some Josh Groban. I need to hear him sing Oh Holy Night because we're in the Christmas story. And so here it is March and I'm listening to Christmas music. But I wanted to just, remind you of the words because I think although this is at the birth of Jesus I think it's equally as relevant for when these wise men came a little while after Jesus was born and fell down at his feet because it's oh holy night the stars are brightly shining it's the night of our dear Savior's birth long lay the world in sin and error pining until he appeared and the soul felt its worth A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. So fall on your knees. Chains he shall break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy in grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. Hebrews 13, 8 says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same polarizing, God emanating, being in that little bassinet or whatever they had in the first century or being bounced on his mom's knee as he is now the risen king who will come again. And just as with Herod, he was a threat, and the Magi, he was hope. He is the same to you tonight. He is either a threat to you and your dating and your money and your friends and your leisure, or he is hope to you because you've asked the question, Why are all the grown ups so sad? And you realize, Someone saw that too, and they stepped out of heaven into flesh and took it all to the cross for those who will receive it. I love that in the book of of Matthew in chapter 6, Jesus is talking about worry, and he calls his father, I'm going to paraphrase this, but he calls his father the sparrow feeder. the whole world runs around, the whole planet for 2,000 years full of Herods and wise men. And in Matthew 6, it says that the father is the sparrow feeder. He is calm. He is able. He loves us so much that he sent his son. And the question is, Am I willing to roll the dice and live a Herod life against him? Or am I willing to lay it all down and go the eight or 900 miles and find him and be received by him and lay it all down and leave with a greater gift than I ever brought, which is the sacrifice of my life? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and ever. And forever he is still being. So what is your response? Do you come tonight as a Herod and you're fighting him and he's a threat to you? Or do you come tonight with arms wide open? I want to read you one quote and then I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. Jesus is only threatening if you think you're greater than he is. And if he is threatening, you do think you're greater than he is. You think your plans are better. You think your sins are too big. You think your doubt is too wide, but they're not. And he bids you come, taste, and see that he is good. Lord, I thank you so much that you give us such a clear story in the second chapter of Matthew that we are either a Herod or a wise man, we're either seekers coming to find you because you've called us or we're fighting you at every turn. Lord, would you break the chains that bind us? Lord, may we fall on our knees. May we bow before you and worship you as the wise men did. And when we stand up again, Lord, may we leave with a greater gift than we ever brought you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.